Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. I was actually assaulted and nobody believed me. I didn't tell anyone and you're telling all women that they don't matter, that they should just stay quiet because if they tell you what happened to them, you're going to ignore them. That's what happened to me and that's what you're telling all women in America, that they don't matter, they should just keep it to themselves because if they have told the truth, you're just gonna help that man to power anyway. That happened to Jeff Flake, who was standing in a lift trying to move, but not being allowed to by these incredible, brave, strong, powerful women who challenged him after he had supported Supreme Court nominee Brett Kavanaugh. And I think it really shows the importance of all these women who are speaking out and not letting people away with things. Um, because after that, Flake went down to the Senate floor and he had a word in a colleague's ear and he requested that the vote about Kavanaugh and the Supreme Court be delayed until after the FBI investigation into the allegations by Christine Blasey Ford. Um, so that's where we are now. And that final vote could come on Saturday. But I just wanted to pay tribute to those women. It's not easy to do that. It's really hard. And I'm sure it took a lot out of them. But I think it was incredible that the world saw that and heard that. And clearly it had a big impact on Flake. Uh, this week, Trump mocked Christine Blasey Ford. It was a really horrible moment at one of his speeches, which I'm not going to bring you because I don't want to give him any more publicity for that kind of horrible nonsense that he comes out with. So where we are is that if the senators are involved, all vote along party lines. Kavanaugh, who is Donald Trump's nominee, has to be said, will become a Supreme Court judge. But if they don't, there is a possibility that he may not get the support he needs. And so in this regard, the Republican senators that everyone is watching to see whether they support him or change their minds are Jeff Flake, Lisa Murkowski and Susan Collins. So we'll watch this space to see what happens and we should know by the end of the weekend. You are listening to the Irish Times Women's Podcast. Later on, we're going to be talking about the quiet feminism of Maeve Binchy, the late great writer who's being celebrated at her hometown in Dorky at the Echoes Festival at the weekend. And we're also going to bring you another interview from the Brown Thomas Style Summit. I spoke to Insta-famous makeup guru Katie Jane Hughes about being an influencer and experimenting with makeup. And we'll also have details of how you can win tickets to the Style Summit. I've been to a couple of them now. Now, it's a brilliant night out and some of the people they have coming up are Sarah Harris and Sally Hughes and Mary Greenwell. So definitely stay tuned to find out how you can win tickets to that. Now, we also wanted to mention this week the Canadian scientist Donna Strickland, who was not famous or prominent enough to have her own Wikipedia page, but she actually won this week a Nobel Prize for physics for her work in laser technology. And she became the first woman in 55 years to win the prize in physics. I, I, all I can say is that I'm overwhelmed, really. 
Uh, I will tell you that over the years, because this is for work done a, a long, long time ago, when I've met people, they have said, you know, haven't you got that Nobel Prize yet? But I always thought they were kidding with me. Yeah, so obviously it's, it's a real thrill. And that was Donna Strickland there, clearly very surprised to have been uh, named as a prize winner by the Nobel uh, Committee. There was also a win this week for Frances Arnold in chemistry. So it's a very good week for uh, women in science in the world. And I'd say Donna Strickland is now very much on Wikipedia, though I haven't checked. I'll go and check it after this episode. Um, it also comes in a week when CERN suspended an Italian scientist, Alessandro Strumnia, for telling a seminar at the organisation's Swiss headquarters last week that physics was invented and built by men. So there you go. And one more thing I have to mention is a judge in court in Ireland telling a claimant not to refer to her as love when addressing her during what was described as an exaggerated and unsuccessful €60,000 damages claim. That was in the Circuit Civil Court on Wednesday. James Flynn, a 46-year-old salesman at Outdoor Markets throughout Munster, he kept addressing Defence Counsel Adrienne Fields as love. But when he tried the same thing with Judge Sarah Berkeley, she told him, don't call me love. And I just love that. And I think we need to tell people. I mean, it happens a lot in taxis, I notice. And most of the time, I just don't have the heart to say it. But in a court, don't be calling the judge love. But then apparently for the rest of the time, he kept addressing her as lady. And I don't know what's worse. Lady, love, just judge. She's a judge. Call her a judge. Just needed to get that in. Now, we are big fans of Maeve Binchy on the women's podcast, as you might expect. Uh, I edited a book called Maeve's Times, which had all her journalism in, because I think her journalism is something that people aren't as familiar with as they are with the books. And we wanted to discuss her because this weekend, the Echoes Festival, which is in her honour and celebrates everything to do with Maeve Binchy, it's on in Dorky, your hometown, at the weekend. So we asked Henrietta McCurvey to come in to talk to us about an aspect of May's work and life that wasn't as well known, her quiet feminism. Henrietta is an award-winning fiction writer and design and advertising copywriter. Her books are What Becomes of Us, The Heart of Everything and Violet Hill. And she has trawled through Maeve's work to talk to us about what she meant to women and what she meant in terms of solidarity and feminism. So here's Henrietta McCurvey. Henrietta, you're speaking at the wonderful um, Echoes event this weekend, which is a celebration of Maeve Binchy in Dorky. And I was there last year. It's it's a really brilliant uh, gathering, you know, of people who are just who love her work and see the importance of it beyond perhaps what um, what people kind of traditionally know about Maeve Binchy. So for you, you're looking at Maeve's feminism, which for some people mightn't uh, be immediately apparent because a lot of people have this idea that Maeve was this cosy kind of romantic fiction writer. But actually... When you look at her um, work, you find that from a very early time in her journalism career, she was writing stuff about women that wasn't really being written about. And she was writing about women in ways that was very, very forward thinking and groundbreaking. So you had a look back. Um, I see the book of Maeve Binchy's journalism there, which I have to say I edited with a lot of help from my mum. So you looked back at her work uh, to find those moments. Yes, that's right. Um, yeah, I was at Echoes last year, actually. So it's nice to be moving from the audience onto the stage uh, this year. Um, and it's really interesting when you go back through the archive and that book Maeve's Times was incredibly useful for doing that because it is this sort of, you know, pitch perfect note through the archive that picks up on loads of different themes. And the the talk that I'm giving at Echoes is called Maeve Binchy, The Quiet Feminist. 
which was um, a review of her in the late 80s. A reviewer called her a quiet feminist and she said herself it was one of the most delightful things anyone had ever said about her. Firstly, because she couldn't imagine ever being called quiet and wasn't that fantastic. <laughs> I love that. And also that her feminism, she came for her, it came from just a desire to see women being okay with themselves and being assertive of themselves and not wanting for things outside that, but understanding who they are and what they're entitled to, obviously. But as she said herself, her books weren't about ugly ducklings turning into swans. They were about ugly ducklings turning into happy, confident ducks. You know, um, So I think it is very interesting that this idea of her as this cosy writer, the UK independent called her the queen mum of literature and the world's leading romantic fiction writer, so that's what people have come to think of her in so many ways as. But when you actually go back right to the beginning of the journalism of the late 60s, you can see this really strong, assertive feminist streak coming through. And I'm not sure, was it because it ran in parallel with some of the other themes of the fiction or was it because it was so often delivered with such incredible good humour I Which think, I think, I think contributes that's a to really it. important point. Um, and if we go back to sort of the early journalism, so she became editor of what was the women's page in the Irish yes. Times. I, I just working here, obviously, I love I love the idea and I love the the lineage from the women's page to the women's podcast, actually. So it's it's really great to, to explore. But she says herself, like she had no interest in fashion. She has a quote. I love it. She says, let those other skinny people go off and buy clothes themselves. I don't care. That's right. <laughs> they let them go buy their were, own bloody clothes. They weren't, she said. They weren't yeah. clothes that were going to fit. Maybe. Yeah. But, but also, mate, you have a, quote in your um, talk that you're going to give about Mary Kenny who said that people thought they were going to be talking, writing about knitting and various things like that in the women's page in the Irish Times. So it meant they could kind of sneak things under the radar and that exactly. there was actually a yeah. lot of incendiary stuff written about that, yeah. presided over by Maeve. So tell us, give us an idea of some of those things. Yeah, it was amazing the topics that she covered really when you when you go back and look at it. I mean, Abortion is a theme running throughout. Um, and in fact, there was one even quite early on, there was a piece, um, there was a thing called Women Are Fools, which was a three-part series that she did, um, which covered the topic of abortion in one of them. But also that, what were opportunities for women at the time? What was allowed to be opportunities? You know, I find the idea of the whole women's page or women's first, it was sometimes called quite funny because it had a graphic that said women's page. And I do wonder, was that meant to invite you in or possibly show you this is not for you. I think <laughs> you know? it was a bit of a warning as well. Now, yeah, now men, yeah. you won't be wanting to hear about yes. this women's stuff. So yeah, you there's nothing here for you. Yeah, yeah. So I think Mary Kenny's comment about, you know, they'd be writing about knitting and burping babies and you could slip all manner of incendiary things, as you said, under the radar is probably exactly how that panned out. Um, but I think the way Maeve tackled so many issues, like even quite early on in the women's pages, there was an article from... 1969, I think, called The Nonsense of Etiquette, where she challenged the way that nuns were using etiquette and manners to promote some girls in secondary school and hold others back. There was, I think the, the piece she's actually talking about is a girl who was told she wouldn't need to take the pledge at confirmation because it would be important to her future career that she'd be able to socialise with her husband and have a drink in the golf club. But for others, it didn't matter. And it's presented with such good humour and charm, but the points she's making, especially at a time when she had taught in convent schools and people weren't, and she was very supportive of a lot of nuns in her time, but people weren't challenging the clergy in that way. But she was able to just continually get these themes constantly 
across. And that runs right up through the fiction and much I think, later I, fiction. I think your point, and I think it can't be over-laboured really, the fact of the good humour and the charm. Because at the time, when you, when you see all the anger about now and the rage and, and women being rightly angry and, and really expressing yeah. that. But at that time, there was no way that any of those messages would have been able to be carried over had Maeve done it in any kind of way, angry way. So she was really clever because she kind of yeah. saw that. And her personality was, was good humoured and charming anyway. So it, it fit in with her whole demeanour. But like if you if you imagine Maeve Binchy trying to shout about those things, it wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have gone over and it wouldn't have had that subtle impact that it did in homes all over this country with women reading these articles and feeling connected and feeling like yeah. they weren't going mad. You know, that, that's yeah. the effect I think Maeve had. I think it's exactly that because I think people re- reading them, and I remember my mother reading them, I remember reading them yeah. as a child, and you felt like she was on your side. And I think that's probably a really important And isn't part. that feminism to its yeah, absolute That it's form. everybody being on the same side as each other and supporting each other. In fact, it's funny that you use the word rage. There was a review of... Victoria Line, which was her second book of short stories, um, which came out in 1978, I think, maybe 1980. Um, And the reviewer in the New Society magazine in the UK said her characters, their concern is rage. These women are driven by rage, you know, and they have to, the wily ways, and I think the use of wily is interesting, but that they have to resort to in this male-dominated world, you know, where men are... More, he called them moral and emotional shadows, even though they are wielding all the political power. Yeah. You know, and those two collections of short stories, Central Line and Victoria Line, both that is a theme running throughout them is how are women meant to get on in this world and how are they meant to address all of these things in their lives when there's these constant obstacles getting thrown in front of them. I mean, I love that and I really am interested in and where that came from, you've, you've alluded to it already. Like she grew up in very comfortable surroundings, very privileged, um, you know, with, with parents who absolutely adored her. I mean, one thing I think is really fascinating about Mavis, she was told from, from a very young age how marvelous she was, how wonderful she was. So she, it gave her this incredible confidence, which other women, she wasn't, you know, as she would say herself, she wasn't somebody who was going to turn heads necessarily. She was, you know, she didn't have the body shape that people at, you know, think that that's the appropriate one or whatever. Um, but yet she was full of this this lovely confidence and it was that she wanted to give to other women, I think. Yes, I think so. And a couple of things that she said about, you know, her upbringing and, and Gordon would talk about them as well. It's her husband. Her husband, yeah. Gordon Snell, yeah, is that um, her parents did give her this wonderful self-belief and confidence. And apparently when she was very small and her parents would be reading her a story, she'd say, now, where am I? Where am I in that story? And her dad would say, oh, you're sitting there in the tree looking down at Winnie the Pooh. And she said, fine, lovely. <laughs> so her ability to locate herself in anybody else's story <laughs> is an amazing power. Yeah. And I think it is one you can use for good or for evil. Yeah. And she used it for good by and, just having this amazing you, curiosity. You mentioned the two short stories collections there and the fact that there was, you know, very strong and the rage is strong in them as well. And then when um, Light a Penny Candle came out, that has an abortion storyline in it. Yeah. Like, and when you think about that, is it 70? What what year was... was uh, 82. 82. Maybe? So, I mean, it was a year before the abortion referendum and there was a story in there and it was... I mean, it was, it's amazing really to think about it. And again, yeah. under the cover of... You know, that was a huge book. It was her debut novel. It was wildly successful. It set her off on that path. And yet you don't really think of, of Maeve Binchy still... Even I know, though she returned to those topics yeah, all the time. Yeah, it's not, that is not primarily how she has been remembered. But I do feel like that is starting to change, yes. for sure. Well, um, we're trying yes, to change was, it yes, here. <laughs> yeah. There were so many other things going on, I suppose, in Light a Penny Candle. And of course, it was this phenomenal success. And I suppose she did, 
in interviews, she didn't discuss all the issues in interviews. She discussed her position as a feminist and how she was there for women and what she felt. But she didn't really get into individual issues. So the work spoke about the issues. And I think as her personality was so big and strong and friendly and people adored her so much that I think that possibly has contributed to how she's become remembered as the cosy queen mum of literature. And now the work is getting rediscovered in terms of the issues. Um, so talk to me about it in a few of the girls. There's a story called Funny Little Thing. Yeah. And it's uh, but it takes an aim at sort of sexist language. Yes, that's right. Yeah. I mean, if you think a few of the girls was published after she died, it's 2013. So that's yeah. 33 years later yeah. than some of the very original short yeah. stories that were covering some of the same topics. And in a few of the girls, it in, it has infidelity, insecurity, motherhood, rebellion against loveless relationships, divorce, how female friendships change over time, how society treats women as they age, which is a fascinating topic, I think, and bereavement. And, it, you know, all of those topics are covered in a few of the girls. There's one fantastic story in it called Funny Little Thing, um, which takes a very clever and well-aimed swipe at sexist language. And the character says... I used to think that the five worst words in the language were flat-packed for easy assembly. Barry used to think that was funny. Aren't you a complicated little thing, he would say. But he found everything I said funny back then. And I was always a mad little thing or a quirky little thing, a clever little thing, even a sexy little thing. But that was then, not now. (laughs) That just sums up so much, you know, in terms of how she could actually tackle quite a complicated idea, the idea of language being used against someone in a relationship and deliver it so simply. Do you, do you think, um, because she would have been, you know, a contemporary of such um, strong and uh, some of whom are still with us, some are not, but like the likes of Mary Kenny, Nell McCafferty, um, all those women, Mary Cummins, all these amazing Irish Times journalists and other journalists who did talk about the issues, who did try sort of rage against the machine and do all that. But do you, do you get the sense that she made a decision that her way of doing this was going to be a little bit more letting the work speak for itself and doing it through the humour and charm? Do you think that was actually strategic in a way? Oh, that's a very good question. I would like to think it was. I think she did it in the way that was completely right for her personality, I suppose. I think she was very true to herself in the way she tackled the issues. And because she was so good-humoured and had such a fun, great stories and anecdotes about her life and was so interested in other people that I think it seems to be that when you hear her talking in interviews or discussing, you know, any of the issues, that she just decides to let the characters do that for her. That is their job. You know, and she's soaking up the world around her all the time and just lets it out through the characters. And I don't think that means she believed any of it any less. I think just the way she chose to express it was different. And possibly because she was also so phenomenally successful. And I don't know, I think it's less so now, but I don't know, 20 or 30 years ago, I'm not sure you were allowed, (laughs) you know, you know, rabbit ears, be both, be phenomenally successful and be taking on all of those issues and society at the same time. I think you were probably just told you could be one or the other. That's very interesting. Yeah. Um, And I I think that's the reason why, if we come back to what we said at the beginning, that, that she's not necessarily known for that yeah. because we don't have sort of em- images of her on the late late perhaps sort of talking in a kind of polemic way about any of these things so we you know but but the books it's all there 
Absolutely. In a really loud way. Yeah. Not in a quiet way at yeah. all. And in also a very funny way. There's yeah. a, there's a <laughs> That's the fantastic article about, I think it's from 1980, about where she goes, she meets a very drunk woman at a party who insists that she needs to get a custom made bra because there's this fancy place in London that makes bras for the Queen and you, know, you have to go and have a bra made. So she trots off and thinks, oh well, let's be a bit of fun um, and gets this. And it's a revelation and she gets this wonderful bra and loves it dearly. And she ends the article with, Come the revolution, I'll abandon the sisters before I'll let it go. <laughs> so she's not burning that bra. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so she's clearly very well aware I love of it. all the nuances. And there's another that. column she wrote, because she wrote these amazing columns from London as well. And one of them she wrote, she was taking this man out for dinner. And just the guy in London, the waiter just couldn't cope with the fact that she was the one who was going to be paying right. the bill. Yes. And kept addressing him, kept asking him what Maeve wanted for dinner. And oh, she's so annoyed about yeah, it. It's and brilliant. Disgust. It was like my lordship with some dirty child yeah. being presented. And but I, I think, the room. like, yeah. sort of, I sort of see Maeve in a similar way that I do uh, Gay Byrne in terms of how they changed the country. I mean, Gay Byrne in a much more maybe overt way that you could see it. And, mm. and the late, late was actually discussing these things every yeah. Friday or Saturday night. But Maeve was doing it in her books. And for women, I think the thing you said at the beginning about her being on women's side, yeah. she was such a champion and advocate and this sense of, of, of a role model really as well. Because I always think Maeve a little bit uh, uh, of Maeve a little bit as that kind of bossy older sister. Yeah. I mean, she was one of those eldest kind of person. She she had a real grasp of how to live, I think. she. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking in her personal life too, just the way she carried herself. And she really wanted to impart that, you know, and I think... There was a leadership there that was going on, a quiet leadership maybe again, but that people really, women particularly, could see, okay, there's a way and there's a way of having courage and taking control of your own life, exactly as Maeve did. There's one line I read once about her, I think maybe it's in your in your talk, but that she talks about how when her dad died and she yeah. goes off to live on her own and she decides, because she'd been having this cosseted, you know, life at home with with her father and in the family, the bosom of the family. And now she was out in the world on her own and she said she had to, she realised that was the time she had to now change That's her right. life. She said I'd, and in that year when she went and lived in a flat by herself, she des- she said, I decided I needed to change now. I, I just, I, I love that. that. I mean, and yeah. it's kind of, you get shivers. It's the most exactly. amazingly powerful and I think that is, that thing is to what say. she was basically saying to women yeah. is that you can. Yeah. You don't have to wait for other people to come and tell you what's acceptable, what's what you have permission to do. Yes. You can make the life that you want to have. And she had that ability and I think she wanted to see other people yeah. take the reins of their life as well. That's right. There was, uh, there's a lovely piece of advice that she gave to her niece Sarah Binchy, um, which begins with learn to type which I think is a fantastic piece of <laughs> advice for anybody um, but towards the end she says don't wait for permission to be happy don't wait for permission to do anything make your own life and it's a fantastic piece yeah. of advice and I think she, all of her writing is saying that you know she, like she doesn't do neat tidy endings things are open things are messy Thing, you know, her writing is actually quite like life. Yeah. <laughs> so much of it, when you actually look into it, you see that men and women alike, I mean, that's not just for, for women in that instance in the writing. It's ordinary and messy and tangled. And, you yeah. know, that all the things you can imagine that she was just absorbing as she went around. Gordon Snell has a great story about being in Heathrow Airport, waiting for a flight, and there was a man next to them on the on a public telephone. And he's clearly saying to his wife, I can't get home this evening. I'm stranded in Frankfurt. And Gordon said he nearly had to restrain her from going and taking the phone out of the man's hand and saying, he's in Heathrow, (laughs) you poor woman. (laughs) 
It's like, no, no, maybe we need to stay out of this one. Oh, fantastic. Listen, your talk is going to be great. Tell us um, if people, there's still tickets available to yes, that's Echoes. Right. So yes. people can go on the website. It's that's Echoes.ie. That's right, Echoes.ie. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think you can get tickets in, tickets in Dalky Castle, yeah. I think as well. And it opens tomorrow, Friday evening um, with a reading of Aches and Pains. And then there's talks all day Saturday, a great variety of stuff. And then there's Who a else guided is talking, walk. Henrietta, do you have any other? Um, well, there's a crime panel as oh, well, good. women and crime. Yeah. Yes. Um, and there's loads of things. Frank McGuinness is on in the afternoon. There's a fantastic selection of things. So I think if people go to the website, they'll get the full. You can get a ticket for the morning or the afternoon or the full day. Brilliant. I mean, I do think she's just one of those Irish legends um, yeah. who should be on tea towels and uh, <laughs> yeah, instead of some idea. other some other yeah. people who can mention on tea towels. Um, yeah. But yeah, you know, one of those people that we need to be celebrating and mining her legacy and her wisdom and her, I think, yeah, The Tao of Maeve Binchy would be a good book. What it's you a think? fantastic. Let's yeah, do it, Henrietta. Absolutely. Uh, but she's I'm so in. much to teach us and it's still so relevant and she was ahead of her time. Yeah. That's the thing I think people don't really necessarily know. She really was for us and I think our job now is to make sure that she gets remembered as the person she was, as the person we actually find through the writing. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, good luck on Saturday. and Echoes is a brilliant event. Echoes.ie if anyone wants to get tickets. And we remember Maeve with fondness and with big admiration. The Brown Thomas Style Summit continues and we are partnering with them, as you know, and we have some tickets to give away to that. So all you have to do is email us on the Women's Podcast at Irish Times to tell us why you'd really like to go and see Sarah Harris, the deputy editor of Vogue, Sally Hughes in conversation with Mary Greenwell. And actually this Saturday, there's a very nice event with Violette, who's the makeup artist for Estee Lauder. She's the global beauty director to give her her full title. She's a really fascinating woman, too, um, who kind of melded her career in art with her career in makeup. If you want to go, email us the women's podcast at irishtimes.com. They're lovely events. You get a goodie bag and a bit of a champagne reception. So you can't say fairer than that. Uh, email us and we'll hopefully get you to the Style Summit. Now, speaking of the summit, last week I interviewed one of the participants, Katie Jane Hughes, and talked to her about all things makeup and influencing. She's known and loved for her fun and live Instagram beauty tutorials. So she spoke to me about experimentation, about that interesting world of the influencer. And of course, she also had some beauty tips. Here she is, Katie Jane Hughes. Thank you very much for coming on the Women's Podcast. Now, for anyone who hasn't heard of you, I know there are millions of people who have, but for those who haven't, what exactly do you do? Gosh, I'm not sure it's millions, but if it is, that is very flattering. Um, I am a celebrity and editorial makeup artist and um, selfie enthusiast on social media. And I do makeup in, a, in an editorial world, in magazines and fashion and for models and for brands and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, and I have a, uh, have a big, a big passion and love for social media because I think it's the new, I mean, we'll get there, but I think it's the new place to express yourself and reach people in a different kind of way. So where your fame comes in and where your followers are, that would be Instagram and that's where people... So how many people actually follow you on Instagram? Um, about 167,000 or something like that. Um, and they're all amazing. That I have such an amazing engagement with my um, community on social because I engage back with them and it's really important to me that I actually feel like I'm helping them achieve their beauty goals or helping them just feel like they're the best version of themselves that day. And I've been through the stages in my life where I've not felt so confident and makeup and beauty and just like self-exploration and self um what's the word where that just really kind of i don't know like makeup for me is just that that thing that just makes me feel so much better so if i can help somebody 
use that tool of beauty products and of you know creativity with makeup make them feel better then job done now you live quite a bit of your life online but obviously of your private side of life too but just on the online side do you have any concerns or worries about Instagram and the way it kind of um, homogenizes makeup and makes people like a lot of what you see would be w- women looking exactly the same? And I look at a lot of young uh, people now, and it seems to me that the sort of that expression that you're talking about and that individuality, which I know that you celebrate, yeah. isn't so much um, seen. So, is that something you notice? I definitely notice a lot of same same kind of makeup on Instagram. That's the thing. I think it doesn't frustrate me as much, but I just wish that people took more of what they I don't know I just it's hard because I like without Instagram then people wouldn't try anything so it's like you just have to I think people will copy things and try things until they figure out their own spin on things so I think we're always going to have that kind of you know same everybody wearing the same makeup for a minute and so on and I'm very like not in the belief of trends like I don't think trends should exist I think that trends should be trends for me feel like labels of people and it's like you should essentially just do whatever the heck you want to do that makes you feel good that day and it's like yeah if you want to be inspired by trends of course that's I'm inspired by trends all the time it's more just a case of like people will say oh what's the trend for this what's the trend for that I'm like I don't know because I don't care like I don't play by trends I play by colors that inspire me and I'll like put them on the same face or I'll play by textures that inspire me and I'll use it in a certain way and I think that that's much more modern and a much more fresh approach to doing makeup that makes that will make your makeup or your beauty style stand out as opposed to following a trend um but yeah I definitely see a lot of same kind of stuff which I think it's not so much a pet peeve of what I see on social but I definitely see it as something that happens a lot but I don't know I don't necessarily think that it's good or bad I think it's just what it is okay um going back to just makeup generally there's some people who think that women shouldn't be so concerned about their looks about makeup and these things that they're shallow um and obviously there are people who don't understand the power of makeup and the thing you're talking about about feeling good and expressing yourself so what do you say to those people do you ever get that kind of feedback because we all know online there's people who love what you do and then there's probably people who are critical how do you respond to those kind of uh comments you know it's kind of like i would just be like you do you like at the end of the day everybody's got a different style and different taste and everybody's got you know everybody walks different walk and I think that as long as nobody's being mean to one another and people are just letting people live freely, which I know doesn't happen and people are very vocal on social media, like my face has been slapped all over big brands like Mac and Nas is Instagram account and the amount of comments that come on about me being like, oh my God, her skin looks so oily and shiny, it's gross. But it's like, well, it's actually dewy, it's actually supposed to be there and it's fine, but they just don't, it's not for them. So it's like, and I, and, and I don't, I don't feel any certain way about them. It just frustrates me that they just kind of don't think outside the box. That's the, that's the frustration because it's more a case of, you know, well, that's kind of the style where I live. So that's why, you know, and that's kind of the fresh look that I want my skin to have. So it's, I don't know. I feel like, you know, I always, whenever that happens with me on social media or I get any kind of funny comments, like, um, somebody said, she looks like a, she looks like she's just been on a 10 mile jog. And I replied to this comment and I was like, I actually had just because I was like, it was funny to me to just kind of be snarky back, but not be, be, be bitchy, just make a make comedy out of it. Because at the end of the day, like it is just makeup. It does just wash off at the end of the day, but it does have such an amazing, powerful effect on how you feel. Like I'll, I feel great in my own skin. I'm very comfortable going out without makeup on, but I also feel amazing when I do put my makeup on. So it's like, it really depends. Like I could literally feel just as amazing if I'd have spent an hour and a half doing a really killer makeup look than if I would have spent 20 minutes doing a beautiful skincare prep and not putting anything on after the fact. Because if the skin looks good, everything else looks good after the fact. And that's why skin is the most important element of makeup. Um, go, how, do you, how does someone become 
get your job or do what you do because you had a kind of unusual route in um into into this whole world so tell us about growing up your mum was kind of famous i was talking to your sister earlier in your area anyway your mum was a singer and you used to watch her putting on makeup so is that your first kind of memories of beauty Yes, my first memories of beauty was actually looking at singing through my mum's microphone as a hobby and seeing the amount of lipstick that was on the end of the microphone, just like staining the mic. And it was, and it, I always used to smell like lipstick, the end of her mic. And it was like gross, but so cute because it was just my mum. But we, yeah, we used to watch my mum put her makeup on and go on stage and she'd turn into this glamazon at night from this like mum at the house, you know, with her hair a little bit messy and just sort of just doing the tea. And then she'd, turn it turn it out and go out and be on stage and all these people would love and adore her and she'd just turn into this comedian singer fabulous human and you know it was like her alter ego so it was like I think that's definitely where it's 100% where it came from and you know I wanted to be in entertainment too in some form and in in a big way I am because of the way my career has turned into it's gone down a social media avenue um but yeah it's it's definitely from that it's definitely the um, social media has given you a lot, but are the things about it that you don't like, and how do you manage those aspects? The things I don't like about social, um, I love everything about social except for how much I'm on it. And it, that's just a self development thing that I just have to work on. And I think that because it is a massive part of my job and because so much good has come from it, it's very hard for me to detach. But it's also like, you know, my it, it, in this in, in an instance, my husband used to be like, put your phone down, put your phone down, get off your phone, get off your phone, you're on your phone too much. Now, because he knows that it's basically the driver of my career, he's not as, put, he's not as, you know, what's the word? He's not as firm with me with it because he knows I just have to do it because it's work. And if I don't engage with my community, then the community, you know, won't engage back. And it's all about, you know, it's, it's, it's a conversation that just has to keep going because if you stop com- conversing with people, then they'll stop conversing with you. And it's, you have to keep feeding the, feeding the, the, the sort of minds of the people watching and, you know, keep giving them sort of that satisfaction of feeling inspired and create, you know, to be creative with themselves. But I think that's the worst thing about social. And then the other thing is just based on how much time of our time that it consumes and the only other thing would be just like the fact that people feel like they're not talking to a person when they're being negative in comments they just feel like they're talking to a computer which I think people should be more conscious to see that oh yeah that person even though she's got four or five million followers like a celebrity would have they read those comments and they see those comments and it hurts just as much whether you've got five million it's all relative like you know I have clients that are very you know well known and they'll sit there and look on Instagram and feel potentially crappy about themselves if they've seen somebody that they think looks better than them just how anybody else would because it's all relative. It's like there's always somebody that you're comparing yourself to. And I think that that is what's hard about social media. But at the same time, that's why I love to see that individuality more than the same, same replicated. Because what's really make you, made you stand out, I think, is that experimentation and self-expression. You don't, you've kind of um, been at the vanguard of new looks and, and encouraging people to kind of use different colours or brighter colours than they would. So that's obviously very important to you. Like you're sitting here in front of me, you've got no makeup on that I can see. And you're going to go off and, uh, for the Style Summit and you're going to apply it. Um, what is it about makeup in terms of that individuality and experimentation that you're into at the moment? What will you be talking about today? Um, you know, when I'm on stage talking about makeup, I'm really talking about tips and technique as opposed to style and trend, um, because I'm doing it and I'm talking through what I'm doing it and I'm explaining how I'm doing it on my eye shape and because, and then if you've got this eye shape, you should apply it this way, yada, yada, yada. Um, but what I love on social is seeing like, you know, there's a girl that I follow called your gal Sal, who's from London and she's, um, the most creative, 
like little bean she will take a red eyeliner and start drawing swirls on her eyes and it's somehow works because she just knows how to place it right and therefore she inspires and she's she's a micro influencer but she inspires me more than you know one of the greats now because I feel like now is the time for the micro influencers to really show their you know their stuff and for the people like you know coming up in the ranks kind of as opposed to you know the big ones of course ever ever inspired ever inspiring but it's almost like it's our time. It's like the youth. It's like a different time now. And it's, it's kind of really exciting. Some people listening to this and you talking about micro influencers and all that won't really get it. I mean, it's a whole world out there that I suppose right. probably a generational right. thing to a degree and right. who, who don't necessarily understand. But can you explain it to us just that yeah. the power of that and, and what it's about? Okay. Um, I think a micro-influence, any influencer is somebody that puts himself out there that wants to educate the world on fashion or style or whatever and be a source of inspiration for, for people. You know, you traditional influencers have, you know, one to two million followers and your micros may have between five and 25,000. Um, and those ones are the ones that, you know, almost have just as much clout these days because there's more authenticity sometimes there with them because it's just more about the passion and not about the business of the whole thing because it is a big business now being an influencer and it's almost a new I remember when I was a kid I wanted to be a pop star but now it's almost like the kids want to be an influencer they want to be the next YouTuber and it's crazy but it's but I get it it's just the evolution we're in the digital digital age after all and you can you're in the you've got the power to create your own content and literally put out your own album if you want to nowadays because of the internet because of how much access we've got to technology and you know the micros you know they're just there's just something there's something so refreshing about them and essentially an influencer is just somebody that puts himself out there no matter how big or small they're following are there any negative aspects to that i mean i suppose we talk about uh, if you equate it to someone wanting to be a pop star or wanting to be successful there's this sort of feeling that's that that, that influencer thing that there's not necessarily always a talent involved or some kind of that it's a lot to do with maybe visuals and and it's not necessarily if people were criticizing it that's what they'd say do you see that as well i mean is there a negative aspect to people thinking in in my life it's a valid goal for me to be someone who's kind of gets famous through social media I think a lot of people think the word influencer is a dirty word in a sense, um, but I don't think it is. I think it's just a way, it's it's essentially just an evolution of an industry. You know, editorial is changing and it's becoming more about podcasts and it's coming more about like little bits of, you know, it's, it's coming more, it's basically, I was chatting with my friends at Instagram about this and it's becoming more about snackable content. Like snackable content is what people want and essentially the only way to do snackable content is on Instagram because it's 15 second, 30 second, one minute videos pictures that just the picture speaks for itself the caption isn't even necessary always i often find pictures that i don't post any caption do better than when i do post caption does that worry you that people's attention spans because of this snackable content are getting so much shorter i do but i think yeah i do but at the same time i i've never been a reader anyway so it's almost it serves my personality well because i just am not i've always had a short attention span for things that for things that like unless I, I can only read a book if I'm at jury service or if I'm like in a situation where like I have to do it. Otherwise, I'm going to like where there's a gun to your head. Yeah, basically. I used to love reading as a kid. And I just now I don't know. I'm just not I'm not a very good reader. I'm not a very fluid reader. So therefore, I get frustrated with myself because I'll skip over words and I'll be like, wait, that doesn't make sense. And I'll have to go back. So, you know, I think that there's obviously, you know, the, 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 those people out there that I think still want to read the editorials and still want to read the magazines. And that's why I don't think they're going to go away. I just think that it's changing. And now it's becoming more of a level playing field with the snackable and the large. Okay, so basically there's room for everything is what yeah. you're saying. So what is your plan um, for the next while? I, I, do you have one? Are you a strategic thinker in terms of your career? Or have you kind of found yourself in this space and you're just kind of doing whatever comes along? 
Um, about 10 years ago, my goal was to assist a bunch of makeup artists for a while, work my way up the ranks, leave that artist after a bit, sign with an agency, do editorial um, and branded and like, you know, campaigns. I wouldn't have, if somebody would have told me this 10 years ago, this is where my career would have gone. I don't think I would have believed them, but I don't think at the time I would have said, oh, okay, you know, it, like I don't, I didn't plan. I didn't think that it would go this way, but I'm also, I don't have any feelings about it going this way or going another way because it's just the evolution of the industry. I mean, I'm in, I think I'm in a sweet spot in the sense that because the world is changing so much in editorial, it's, you know, more about social and digital. And like, I could literally shoot a project with my friend who's a hairstylist and another friend who's a photographer and pitch it to a law magazine and they'd probably pick it up. So it's, you know, it's like, it, we're in such an amazing, amazing time for creators that just have an idea. Whereas before you would never have had that opportunity. Um, but yeah. What's next then? What's next is just kind of what I've been doing so far is just kind of going with the flow and letting things happen naturally and organically. And I think that's a big, I think that's a big testament to my success so far is just letting things happen as opposed to trying to fight to the top or trying to, you know, really curate where my career goes. I've really just started putting my face out there and doing makeup that I wanted to do in an editorial world, but because I didn't have the opportunity, I did it on my social and people responded well to that. So I did more of that. And it was just all, then brands brands reach out and start wanting to work together and celebrities reach out. You know, everything's happened. Instagram is my agent. So, you know, for me, Instagram is a big thing that I will put a lot of focus and attention on because it's my portfolio. It's my business. It's my, but it's also my, it's my business in the sense of my, celebrity and my relationships with brands but it's also my playground where I get to play and put out whatever I want to put out and nobody can tell me what what you know there's no there's no brand really over me saying no no no, we don't want you to use that product in that way we want you to use it in this way that's I think what makes it powerful because I'm basically telling the consumer and I'm telling the makeup wearer to do whatever the hell they want with their makeup you work with a lot of celebrities who are some of your favorites um, my two favorites are um, Rosie Hunter-Twightley and, and Ashley Graham because they're just both very we're, we're all we're quite similar the three of us in the sense that we just like to laugh all the time we all three of us love makeup we love product we're like product junkies um, I just went away with um, with Ashley Graham for a couple of weeks to film a TV show called American Beauty Star and we did three we did two looks a day for two weeks so it was 24 looks that we ended up doing and it was amazing because we just like it was just like a big party in the trailer every day um, until we started to get tired at the end of the trip um, and with Rosie it's I love my my time with Rosie because she kind of just lets me do what I want to do. Like she'll we'll we'll land on like a an a, 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 a range or an idea um, of what kind of place we want to play in, and then we'll build. And my best way of some somebody letting me kind of go is the best for them because they'll get more of actually what they want, or they'll show me a literal reference versus being like I want a cat eye. That does nothing for me. There's thousands of versions of a cat eye, you know. So it's. And it's, again, I can find one product on my table of product. And if I pick that one product to base my look around and then just let everything else flow, it always turns out better than if I was to go, I'm going to use that there. I'm going to use that there. I'm going to use that for that. I'm going to use that for that. Because I don't play with makeup like it's intended purpose. I play with it like it's face paint. I play with it like it's, like it's you know, I play with it like an artist would paint with watercolors. Like it, it doesn't matter where it goes. It's just, does it fit that purpose? Does it last on the skin? Does it show up? Great. Use it for that. Just for our listeners, what are a couple of products then that you would really recommend if they want to play like that and do a bit more experimentation? Um, Mac Pro is one of my favorite places to, well, not even Mac Pro. Mac, every season, Mac bring out these trend palettes and there's like 
autumn, winter 18, spring, summer 18, you know, and they'll do two a year and they always come out around fashion week. And they're basically these six pan palettes with like multiple different shades inspired by the season. And you can literally use them for lips, eyes, cheeks, whatever you want to do. They're amazing. Those are great. Um, I really love a multiple kind of face product, like a Charlotte Tilbury, um, uh, what's it called? Wonder Glow. Hollywood Flawless Filter. Um, Hollywood Flawless Filter is such a nice product because you can like literally mix it with concealer to make concealer luminous. You can mix it with your foundation to make that luminous. You can just put it straight on the skin neat to make your skin... I've got it on now and that's all I've got on. And it's just such a gorgeous product. Um, and then, I don't know, a good mascara. Because it's like a good mascara... If you just want to do concealer and then just a big lash, you can like actually create a look out of mascara. But people just think, oh, well, it's just to coat my lashes. No, you can like pinch your lashes. You can like brush them out to the side. You can like layer it on and smush it into the skin a little bit around the eyes to get an even more kind of intentionally funky like editorial messy look it's not just it's not for one thing you can do multiple things with it you can even put put a little liner brush on it and put a little flick on if you crafty of the formulas right so um i'm going to let you go but basically your message seems to be let people play and experiment with makeup instead of just following slavishly things that are in magazines yeah because i think we all go through different makeup makeup identities to our life you know when i was 15 i would wear that instagram kind of beat that's going on right now and i thought i looked amazing and i probably I, you know it, I, maybe i did i don't know i just feel like we all go through i'm i'm realizing we all just go through different phases of our life of what style we're in as we do because our style evolves same with makeup you know so i think it's just a case of playing until you find where you are at that time in your life and evolving with it Great, thank you very much. That was Katie Jane Hughes at the Brown Thomas Style Summit. If you want tickets, the women's podcast at irishtimes.com is the email to reach out to. Oh God, I can't believe I said reach out. You weren't there. But I did. I went there. Reach out. Touch base with us. Share things with us. Anyway, um, this was the women's podcast and you can download episodes wherever you find your podcast. And remember, we love a bit of praise. So tell all your friends and go to iTunes. Give us a review. I'm Roisin Ingle and I will talk to you next time. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you.